Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. Hi, this is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business. I have as my pleasure to introduce you to Susan Heibeck, who is a registered nurse with a master's in nursing and a great deal of experience in the area of oncology. Susan is my guest today to talk about the process that she went through writing her book, and it's a medical book geared to a very specific population. I think you'll be fascinated by what Susan has to say. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. I'm happy to be here. When we were talking about this podcast and and outlining what you would share, one of the first questions that came to my mind was, tell our listener what led you to decide that you wanted to write a book. Well, that's a good question. A book in general? Well, uh, I was always interested in writing. Uh, At my career path, a decision, it was either going to be nursing or journalism, and I wasn't sure which one, but I I told myself I could always write about nursing. And so um, I have now in, in several articles that I've published, and um, due to the opportunity that arose, I've, I've written a book. I know that our listeners have heard me say that you have an oncology background, and I know that that influenced the topic that you chose. So take us through the thought process that you went through as you were saying, I want to write a book. There are so many different ways that you can focus in on a topic for a book. Why that topic? Thank you. Um, I felt like I I do know cancer best. In my my nursing career, I have been involved with cancer nursing since the very beginning of of cancer treatment in the 1970s. And I felt I had a, a good background in cancer care with all the subspecialties. And I wanted to share that information uh, with attorneys who are not familiar with cancer cases because um, cancer cases were coming my way and I had to do a lot of explaining um, of some of the basics of cancer care. For people uh, within the legal field, they're very familiar with the concept of a legal nurse consultant and an expert witness but our listener or our viewer may not have encountered somebody who combines nursing knowledge and knowledge of the law. Could you explain that role to the person who is saying, legal nurse consultant, what are you talking about? Certainly, and I get that question quite a bit. I'm a registered nurse and I have several years experience working with um, patients in different settings, mostly cancer patients in my case. And I've added to my education uh, classes and a certificate and 
information regarding cancer, um, the legal system, because I'm very, um, I'm an expert in cancer care, but I was still learning about the legal terms and the legal system. And I saw things in the hospital and the office and the outpatient setting that either nurses were wrongly accused of errors or errors were being made um, regarding cancer care. And so I wanted to sort that out um, in my head and see what led to some of those problems and follow those cases and to help either the patient who was injured or the nurse who was um, accused um, move forward. I know that there are, because this was my field and this is how you and I connected initially, there are are nurses who work behind the scenes with attorneys and there are nurses who testify. What is the big difference in their function? The nurse who works, uh, the nurse who works with attorneys behind the scenes is more considered more of a consultant expert who works with the medical records specifically and prepares written materials for the attorney to use throughout the trial or throughout the case, and she, that he or she does not, um, does, use, does not testify in that particular case. The nurse expert would be the one sharing her expertise um, on the witness stand or at deposition regarding the injury in question. And let's take that a little bit further for our listener. When you say the injury in question, are you talking about something that a nurse might do with an oncology patient? Is that what you're referring to? Yes. And can you elaborate on that? Sure. Um, for example, uh, chemothera chemotherapy medication error, uh, where the wrong dose may be administered to a patient. Um, it needs to be investigated how that happened. Was it a pharmacy error? Was the order misinterpreted? Or did the nurse give the wrong amount, depending on what was in the syringe? So there's many, many facets to looking at a medication error. And in chemotherapy, which is a toxic medicine in the first place, that can cause significant damage at the wrong dose or if less of a dose is given, it would not be effective. Therefore, as a nursing expert witness, if a, a defendant nurse made a chemotherapy error, your role would be to look at how the error occurred and what should have been done versus what was done. A am correct. I that is correct. And then it would be up to a physician expert to determine if that error shortened the patient's life or caused significant damage to the tissues. For example, if it was chemotherapy that leaked out of the blood vessel and into the tissues. Correct. If an, an attorney is approached by a plaintiff, and we're talking about a plaintiff attorney, who has cancer or a family member has cancer, you know, from your experience, what are some of the, the categories of errors that a plaintiff attorney would consider related to cancer care? Certainly the attorney would listen to the plaintiff, the person who has the complaint or felt he was wronged 
he or she was wronged. Um, the most common, one of the most common themes of a cancer case is the failure to diagnose or um, failure to detect or a misdiagnosis of cancer. And how does that happen, Susan? We have all this modern technology. We've got diagnostic testing. We've got people know the warning signs of cancer. Why are there delays? That's a good question. Everything does not happen on a uh, timetable sometimes. Not all um, systems are set up to perhaps get the patient a, a correct a a quick answer. Uh, someone may have a, a lady may have a mammogram and it may be read either incorrectly or maybe she is not notified of the results in a timely manner um, or there may not have been comparisons to previous mammograms. So there's a variety of um, sort of ways the results can fall between the cracks and at different levels of treatment, it can cause different, different problems. And I know what you just said is probably frightening to the people who are concerned about the risks of cancer. And our listener is sitting there thinking, they really could miss my diagnosis. That could really happen. Are there certain types of cancers in your experience that are more common than others? The more common cancers would be breast cancer in women, lung cancer in men and women, colon cancer in men and women are the most, the three, three of the most common types as well as prostate cancer in men. And due to the large amount of cancers, there's just naturally more potential errors that could be made within uh, those testing and follow-up studies. Mm -hmm. I know that our listener has probably heard about the BRCA gene. Can you define how that fits in with the people who are at risk for breast cancer? Yes. Um, for There's a group of women who may be at a higher susceptibility to breast cancer if they have the BRCA gene and usually the best way to the people with the bra, ladies with the BRCA gene have a higher, higher um, potential for developing breast cancer. That does not mean they will, but that by the time they reach 80 or 90 years old, they have a higher percentage of developing the cancer. And this is best detected by um, DNA blood drawn from a woman who already has breast cancer and, and then whether or not she, if it's positive, whether or not she chooses to share that with her family and uh, siblings and children. And I have a good friend who has the BRCA gene. I seem to recall that it wasn't possible to test her children until they reached a specific age. And I want to say it was something like 25, 26 years old before they could be tested to see if they had inherited the gene. I'm not sure of the exact number. And one of her children was positive and one was negative. The reason for that may be that what do we have to offer? 
a 20 year old or a 25 year old um, with the BRCA gene? Is, and is there more going to be developed in the future that we can offer? Preventative strategies for breast cancer are minimal uh, and you don't really want to discuss with females to discuss some of that before their reproductive years can be difficult because there isn't probably the influence of the hormones. It's something that would definitely, a, a woman would take with her, you know, on her healthcare journey to inform her care providers, but it's not necessarily a guarantee that she'll get cancer either. And we certainly don't want those guarantees either. No, no. When you were structuring the content for your book, tell us what was your thought process of cancer care and cancer medical malpractice covers a whole range of topics. How did you narrow down what you wanted to cover in your book? Well, um, I participated in this wonderful class, uh, Book Authoring Mastery, uh, that you taught. And like the very fir first or second session, you said, um, you can't get where you're going if you don't know where you're going. You can't get to your destination. And that was the purpose of the outline. So to me, I've always been an outliner because then I can follow it. And to, what would be most important for attorneys to know? And I base that on a little bit of what we just talked about, the most common types of cancers and the most common types of errors. Um, and then I knew the attorneys would need something like a baseline, just some basic information about cancer and cancer treatment. And some things uh, were left out and some things were added, which um, were discussed you know, with you, my editor, so that we could decide what would make a smooth flowing book and um, be pertinent to the attorneys. Mm -hmm. And I think you did a very effective job of sorting through the categories because there's so many kinds of cancers and so many body systems that can be affected by cancer that many authors have a desire to put everything in you know, all the topics and readers can get a little overwhelmed by the right. content of information that they can get. Right. And you were writing for attorneys and not for medical professionals. So how did that influence the approach that you took in your writing? Well, in my needs assessment and speaking with attorneys, usually about cancer cases, I found that they had a, a pretty superficial understanding of the medical piece of cancer and the biologic piece that's important to determine the stage of how advanced the cancer is and if that makes a difference in the patient's life um, expectancy. So I um, geared my book on the potential errors that could be seen by the attorney in the case and then what those violations of the normal standard of care would be that they could use and apply to their case. Mm -hmm. And you said a few minutes ago in your needs assessment, did you speak to attorneys before you wrote your book? 
I spoke in general uh, to them about cancer cases and um, yes, I did. And they, the, there are some attorneys who do specialize in cancer cases or have a large amount of, of cancer cases in their practice. But I would say the majority do not, but they do receive cancer cases to review. And so those are the particular attorneys I would be speaking to. And having worked in cancer care for over 30 years, I know some of the behind the scenes um, nuances to look for what might be missing in the medical records. For example, I have a great case right now. Um, there's a missing chemotherapy administration record. And darn if anyone can find that. So we're still waiting for that. And that's pretty much the point of the case. Mm -hmm. How does it turn out that records go missing? What's behind that? That's certainly an interesting question. In the, in the paper days, it was almost easier to understand because some, there might not be a copy of something, something could fly away or fall into a clutter or something. But now with the, with the really the mix of paper and electronic records, um, sometimes the wrong things are printed up. Sometimes the complete chart isn't complete because of additions later on that are somewhere else in the medical records department. It's really overwhelming. Even in years ago, going to a paper medical records office and seeing all those medical records and they have to be organized and uh, in an orderly fashion. So anyone who goes when a doctor goes back to look at a chart from a previous admission, he can figure out what happened. So there can easily be uh, maybe sheets duplicated or sheets missing. Um, and sometimes that could be intentional. Mm. So you're saying that healthcare providers could destroy medical records? It has been known to happen. What's behind that, Susan? Why do healthcare Fear. providers get rid of them? I think fear um, of misunderstanding the situation, fear of covering up, fear of it um, being found that an error was made that was significant. Many errors are made in, as we know, in healthcare, but not all of them cause a problem. So an insignificant error does not get highlighted or brought in for a lawsuit because it didn't cause a physical or mental problem. But if there's a significant injury due to an error or mistake, um, it becomes obvious and people start asking questions and then there's review boards and sometimes some things go missing. What influence does that have on a case when that happens? I have, the cases I've seen, uh, the most severe case was um, there was need to subpoena a code blue record in a pediatric case, and somehow they, they found it then. And there could, you know, going further into it, there could be true spoilation of records where the cases, depending on what's missing, the case could be um, dismissed. But I have not seen that. I've just read about that. But it's certainly... Um, it causes a, it's a cause for concern for the integrity of the medical records. If something's missing, how do I know something else is not missing? Just because I 
am missing a known medication chart. Maybe I'm missing something else for another therapy section of the chart, or maybe a doctor's order or, or a chest X-ray or something that's not there. And could the jury ever react angrily if they think that the healthcare providers are destroying medical records? Oh yes, the jury has a huge, um, a huge, you know, representation. They want they are representing their peers, and they want to believe that the healthcare system has integrity and is truthful and transparent. But when they see an injury to um, a plaintiff, they get uh, very can be very angry, and that could influence the damages. So winding back to where we started, we've talked about the, the role of the legal nurse consultant and the expert witness in oncology cases, that you picked topics that represent the common types of cancer. And you've written this book for attorneys who are handling medical malpractice cases so that they can better understand this field. You've finished this book you're launching this book. Tell us what you're planning to do with this book now that you're done with it. Where is this gonna lead, do you think? If you could see ahead in the future and you think about, I've got this book in my hand, now what? Well, um, I would like to envision it as an, an attorney would have it on his bookshelf. Uh, for when he gets a cancer case that he could refer to or that he knows he could give me a call and discuss a case uh, based on what he's read in the book. Or there may be some new therapy that has is not covered in the book that he, I would be a reference person, a resource um, in order to assist and serve that attorney and their client. I plan to, of course, provide the book to attorneys I know and hopefully to um, share it with those uh, in my future. All right. So the theme of this podcast is writing to get business. And Susan, you have certainly been an example of writing a book in order to get business. And that's been one of the themes that we've talked about in this podcast is how you can match your expertise with the needs of your target market. What advice would you give somebody who is thinking about writing a book? Now that you're at the tail end of this, and this is the first book that you've put together, what did you learn from the process? I would highly advise anyone uh, thinking about it. I would just say, just do it and have a, um, a mentor and a wonderful editor like you, because uh, it's been a very encouraging process um, I felt I needed to develop my persistence and my patience um, with the whole um, process because life does still happen. I don't just sit down and write for eight hours a day or X amount of hours. It's part of my business, and wanted, but I wanted to do it, even though what really triggered me is your um, email, your email that was looking for nurses who might want to write a book. And that certainly uh, provided the motivation. And then I saw how many books you have written. And I thought there's no reason I couldn't write a book. And I think 
uh, most, most people could if they really wanted to and with expert assistance to help polish and edit and bring forth some of the issues in a more clear basis, it worked out, it's worked out really well. Tell our viewer who's watching this on our YouTube channel or writing to get business or the person who's listening to this as an audio show, how can they find a copy of your book? They could uh, go to my uh, website, www.highbeckandassociates.com or they could contact me at susan at highbeckandassociates.com and it will be on Amazon, I believe. And what is the name of the book? The name of my book is Cancer Care Malpractice. And let's spell your last name for our listener. Uh, H-A-I, B as in boy, E-C-K, Hybeck. Okay, so don't make the mistake that I've made and call her Susan Haybeck because that's <laughs> not the correct pronunciation of her name. H-A-I-B-E-C-K. Correct. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. That's terrific. And I know that there will be people who will be thinking about cancer care and malpractice in a different way as a result of having listened to you in the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. And to you who has been watching this on our YouTube channel or listening to it on the audio platforms, I appreciate you and the attention that you have given to the show. Be sure to go to patire.com. You can receive the transcripts of our podcast by requesting them on the website. That way you can go back and check on information that you want to follow up on or scan a show and get the key points instead of listening or watching. That's a free subscription that we make available to you at your request. Go to patire.com, P-A-T-I-Y-E-R.com. And come back for our next episode of Writing to Get Business with a new guest and a new topic and a new process for writing a book. Thanks so much. This is Susan Heimbeck, who is a nurse who went through a course that I taught in order to write her first book, Susan can you tell our viewer what was the value of having a course to take you through that process? Well, it provided the opportunity to start writing a book and actually finish it. Um, I had toyed with the idea of writing a book, but when your class opportunity came to me, uh, it really provided the roadmap and the step-by-step method to get the work done, to actually put the book together, to decide the content, to decide the length and to format it and offer um, and actually finish it. I didn't think it was possible. (laughs) I am glad that you got through the process. After you, you came up with the idea and we started working together as you were finishing it, you brought me in as an editor to assist you. What experience did you have with that process? Well, that was wonderful. Um, I, didn't feel, I didn't feel criticized, I felt helped. And I felt that um, your uh, evaluation and critique of my writing and my mission 
definitely provided clarity and polish to the to each paragraph because I knew what I wanted to say, but I didn't perhaps know how to say it the best way. And I've written for different sources, but not ever a book. So, um, and getting through the references and looking at making the topic clear to the reader was really important to me. Well, thank you, Susan. Would you recommend this process to other people? Definitely. And I look forward to writing my second book. This has been Pat Iyer speaking with Susan Heibeck about her book, Cancer Care Malpractice, which she wrote as a result of going through my course and then also retained me as her editor when the book was over. Thanks so much. I appreciate Thank it. you. This is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business. I'd like you to meet Ron Carr. Ron is the author of a new book and I'll have him share the title. And we've just been chatting about the book and some of the key concepts that drove him to write this book. Ron, what will our listener get from your podcast? What are some of the key things we covered? So the key things in the velocity mindset is velocity is speed with direction. So we give you the tools on how you can better identify what you truly want to achieve, whether it's on a sales call, a project, or even a lifetime. Because once you have that destination in mind, then you can work backwards and find out the right task to do so that you have a better chance of achieving it. The other things that we accomplish is talking about the stories that stop us from moving forward. We all have stories in our lives. You know, something happens to us, we create a story. The power is we created it. So if we create it, we can always change it. So if we can de-emotionalize some things that stop us from moving forward and realize that it's just a story and we can change that story, many times we can remove the obstacles that prevent us from moving forward. And then a third thing that we talk about is a series of uh, gaining buy-in. You know, you can only do so much through yourself. And we didn't really talk about this as much, but it's in the book. But you can do a lot more through the efforts of others. And we go into the neuroscience, what it takes to really gain people's attention. And we give them a simple process of how they can increase the attention of people that are speaking to so that they'll have a better chance that they will enroll them in the process and gain their support for whatever they want to achieve. And that sounds like a technique that would be useful in your personal life as well as in your business life. Absolutely. And, and the basis of the technique is simple. People do things for their own reasons, not yours. So stop talking about all the good things you can do for them. Find out what they're trying to accomplish. That is the one way to get the cortisol down, get the oxytocin up and get their attention. Because now you're talking about something that's important to them and then present in context to what they told you and you'll have a much more influential conversation. I think that that chapter alone is worth the price of the book, Ron. Thank you. You'll be sure to want to watch Ron Carr's podcast. He's an accomplished guy with a lot of wisdom, a lot of life experiences and skills that will be distilled into his book. Thank you so much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. 
check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.